The GovX Show is supported by Forrester, helping government organisations perform at their best. Visit forrester.com to learn more. Hey again, welcome to another episode of the GovX Show, the podcast for public sector changemakers. Joining me today is Jim Stamp, who's Principal Technologist from our friends MadeTech. And I set him a challenge before joining him for the conversation, which was to underline some of the key principles and foundations of effective data-driven services and effective data-driven organisations. Everybody's talking about data, but how are we using it effectively in the public sector? Jim racked his brains and came up with a list of those key principles that we should all be aware of if we want to make the best of data in our own organisations. So lots to jump into. We'll dive right in now. So, Jim, welcome to the GovX show. Fantastic to have you joining us today. So we're going to have a little look at some of the foundations of data-driven organisations in the public sector. Um, What do they typically do well? What do they typically have in common? What what do they get right? What are those pieces that if you if you focus on it, provides that that good foundation? Not not a caveat. It's not going to do everything for us, but it's a good starting point. And we'll perhaps get into some of these, some of the kind of more specific context. But um, so really looking forward to jumping into that. And you know, you as principal technologist at Maytech, presumably working with lots of public sector organisations, so be really interested in hearing more about, about that and your experience. So let's let's kick things off, set the scene a bit. Tell us about you and your role in Maytech and how you're working with public sector organisations in particular right now. So uh, I guess at Maytech, we only work with public sector. So that's always a bonus when you're trying to work out how public sector work. But uh, I'm, a, as you said, principal technologist largely focused on data. Uh, I joined a year ago. I think I've worked on one non-data project since I started. So uh, I'm now working uh, sort of with an overview across four data projects at the moment, Uh, but I'm also looking after the internal data capability. So uh, trying to build that up, trying to recruit the right people, put the training in place to take our digital engineers and make them a bit more data focused if they want to become data focused and then working out the best practice. So looking at things like reference implementations. So all of our engineers, when they land on a new project, have a guiding principle of the sort of thing that we've done in the past and the kind of things that have worked well, both from a technology ways of working and then recommendations of how customers might want to adopt those systems. Yeah. And is there a is there a kind of common type of project that that Maytech are getting involved with right now or are they pretty varied or is the public sector as a whole kind of got a particular area of focus they're looking with help in terms of cracking those challenges or are they pretty varied right now so I think I think they're largely centered around one or two types of capability but the level of maturity is different across the different organizations so I guess of those two one would be a sort of a data platform you're talking a data lake or a lake house or at some point maybe one of them might be able to adopt a data mesh but we're not quite there with any of our customers yet but uh, the other one would then be sort of a more of a bi or analytics platform so they've got the data it's in a location that they can do stuff with they just need to be able to assess it and visualize it okay Okay, gotcha so i thought I'd set you some homework because you know I'm I'm like that and 
your colleague Glenn Oxcourt came on a few months ago and I made it made him do some work as well it's and I promise you it's not it's not me being vindictive towards Maytech but it's the fact that you you guys obviously work with so many different public sector organizations that it's always really interesting to find out what are you picking up what are the signals you're getting what are the common challenges that you're hearing and really start to distill those so for our audience they can understand oh, it's not just us you know these are the challenges that everyone else is going through as well and I think that that sharing information and everybody understanding that it's not just you that the public sector as a whole has some common challenges. I always think that's a, it's a good way to go to sort of bring them to the surface. So we asked you to have a think about what we're going to call the foundations of data-driven organisations. So what within a typical organisation, notwithstanding they all have their quirks and different systems and legacy and all that kind of stuff, what are those things that you see done well or what are those things you see that you need to help them with, you know, quite commonly to, to help them improve their capability in terms of digital and data. So we set you that challenge. Uh, and I, I, I guess I guess my answers are specifically, I mean, it's an interesting challenge, but my answers are probably more from a technology point of view, yep. I guess, because I'm a software engineer by background. So when someone asks what the foundations would be, my head automatically goes mm -hmm. to tech. So there will definitely be some things that we can discuss that are slightly less tech as well, yeah. but I don't actually remember what I wrote down. So yeah. this is going to be an interesting journey. Okay, so maybe maybe I'll tell you what you said, and then you can try and recall. We've already mentioned you've got a young baby in the house, so you know every every night that goes by, a little bit more of the memory fades. So I'll I'll be kind. I'll help you. It's nearly Christmas as we record this. This is probably going to come out in the new year, but okay, you, you've played my played in my heartstrings. I'm going to help you out here, Jim. So the first one um, was a focus on user value. So tell me a bit about that. Tell me why that matters right now. Yeah, so I think uh, a lot of the data platforms that I've experienced in the past, and this is largely from landing in a customer's sort of real estate and them saying, well, we built this data thing a couple of years ago. It didn't really work. Uh, and then they say, can you come in and build us another one? And it's slightly, uh, it's slightly astonishing that the amount of money that people can spend on building something without applying the same techniques that they do when they build something that's sort of a digital system. So if you're building a website these days, you're not going to build it and expect people to use it. You do testing, you work out what the user value is, you work out that you're delivering to those requirements of what the user wants, not what you think the user wants. And so data platforms that have failed in the past largely follow that build it and they will come mentality. They don't really think about the users because the users are internal people. And you often find that the people who are running the data platform projects see themselves as the archetypal user of the platform because it's usually someone that is either a data engineer or a data analyst or a data scientist okay. that is running the project. Okay, so the danger yeah. is, so what would I like this to do? Exactly. Oh, well, what would I like? Thanks very much. And they're having this kind of like back and forth in their own head with their internal monologues as opposed so, to getting out there. Yeah, so, you know, focusing on what the users actually want. And for me, it goes a step further than what they want. It's more what problems do they currently have? To make a data platform sticky, you need to focus on the problem or a problem that you can fix for that user. Because if you can fix a problem, you're making their life easier and you're making it so that they can then, that they have a reason to use it at that point. Yeah, interesting. And, and it's, it, it's, 
I guess, significant that there are clearly areas that you've mentioned where th th that battle's been won. You know, the, the user-centric thinking prevails everywhere. Websites are a good example. You know, sort of citizen-facing portals for public services. That UX piece, that CX piece is just ingrained in everybody. But there are still these pockets where just culturally that just still hasn't quite taken hold and there's still this kind of legacy of, well, we'll, we'll do what we want and then it'll work kind of thing, which is got to catch up, I guess, is this. The yeah, and, and it's interesting that a lot of internal systems still suffer from that as well. Even if you're mm. building an internal website, you still need to build it for the users of that website, even if they're your colleagues. And so I guess to a degree, they suffer from it, but data seems to be another step behind them even further, mainly because the tools are so complicated and it's really hard to find that way of simplifying them for people so that they can understand it. Uh, it's tough. Okay. So we've got a really good principle there to, that should play through the whole, that whole sort of digital data piece. And next one, I, I guess this is about getting started getting moving is about balance research with delivery. So tell us for you what, what that balance should look like and why it matters. So I guess this, this is applicable to both the creation of a data platform, but also the use of a data platform. So uh, there's the classic science versus engineering research versus sort of uh, engineering type sort of uh, dichotomy, I guess, but not quite. But it is from an engineer's point of view, having that time to look at different ways of doing things. The data space is moving so fast, and, and, and you know people people say that building websites you get framework fatigue building websites data is even faster in my opinion you know the, the the number of new things that are coming out you can literally spend all day reading blogs reading medium posts you know you can just trying to keep up and so i think it's worth remembering that what you're building now will only last so long and so you you have to balance that new thing versus old thing but you equally, you don't want to just keep putting new things in, you know, you, you just, just running on that treadmill trying to keep up doesn't work either. So research long enough that you, for as long as you need to, to deliver those user value, that user value. If it's not quite there, there's probably something else out there that you can use um, that, you know, everyone is writing data tools at the moment and there's such a variety out there. And then I guess the other side of it is the, the, the research versus delivery when it comes to actual data. And I think it's very easy for organizations to set a challenge for an analyst or a scientist to go and deliver some functionality. Mm -hmm. And actually my experience in the past is if you give those, those scientists and those analysts X percentage of their day to do a bit of research or of their week or of their month to go away and just do some thinking just play with the data find something interesting often it's useless but sometimes they come up with a nugget you just go okay we can use that that definitely answers something we hadn't considered and there's such a depth to the data that we're collecting now there's often some little strange and wonderful correlations between two things that you haven't connected in the past that just give you that insight that means that you can improve that service or you can deliver that functionality to your users or residents. And that space for innovation, I mean, you, can, you could apply that to any industry, right? The, the daily grind and, 
focus on specific outcomes, predefined outcomes versus, okay, well, let's, let's look at the very end user experience and work back from that and, and see where it takes on the way. That's, it's critical, isn't it? It's difficult to do sometimes because we get caught up in the, in the rigmarole of. I think the, 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 the interesting thing for me is having come from industry, <clears throat> industry are comfortable with investing that time to find those things. As you said, it's, 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 R&D is not a new thing. <laughs> True. Um, but for me, for the public sector, it, it, it doesn't seem to be a thing that is accepted. Is that, a, is that a, well, we can't just be noodling about trying things because we're on the public dime here, so we better have some clear outcomes and you know, activities in mind. Is, is a bit of that thing? And that's why I put it in there. That, that, that is why I put it in there, because the focus on delivery it, it, there's there's almost that guilt right there's that, that, that yeah. slightly uncomfortable we're doing something that doesn't deliver something yeah and, you know people do just want to just deliver and that's 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 a good thing you know this is public money that you're spending but equally you know balance that balance is so important because there are things that will just advance the systems so quickly yeah uh, it, it needs to have a good balance in there and i, I think people feeling comfortable with just spending half a day every now and again, just playing with the numbers and seeing what they find or having a pet project, right? Something yeah. that they, they, they do long-term that they don't tell anyone about until they're happy. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's nice when people do that. And, you know, you'll often find service managers just go, actually, that's really cool. Thank you. Yeah. I, I like that. Yeah. And that's really going to help our residents or our users. That's good. That's okay. Good. So big message there for people to, Deserve that time, find that time. Yeah, do, do some of that good stuff. Right, the next one, I, you're going to have to help me out because it's, it's the longest one. It's probably got the longest words in it. And so talk me through. So use domain-driven development to create context and identify boundaries and relationships between them. So unpack that for me. Yeah, my, my, the cogs are really grinding in my head, but tell me, tell me what you mean by that. So uh, there's a uh, way of building an understanding of your organization uh, and then delivering systems, digital systems, using that understanding. And it's called domain-driven development. Um, it's been around for a while. It's not a new concept, but it allows you to analyze. If you, you can almost visualize your organization as a set of domains. So this area looks after our users. This area, if you think about local government, for example, this area looks after council tax or revenue, either business rates or tax. This area looks after housing repairs, this area. And so you can start building those separations between them. And it often follows an organizational structure, not always. Um, but you can start building a vocabulary that describes the different domain objects. So a user, uh, uh, collections, uh, repairs, a, a resident, because a user might be different to a person, might be different to a resident, right? You can definitely have a user in a local, local sort of uh, local government sense that isn't yet a resident that's signing up on your website, right? So they're definitely a user. They might not be resident yet, but creating that separation between those uh so those 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 entities is, is important and the reason that it makes such a difference is that if you haven't split that off and created what what is called a ubiquitous language great word uh then it it, it makes it very difficult to have uh, an equal conversation because different people will call a user 
a different thing to another part of the organization. Yeah. And so, so writing down what a user is versus what a person is versus what a resident is, is so important and having that declared. And then I guess from a digital point of view, that then allows you to design your systems using that vocabulary, using that ubiquitous language and isolating the boundaries around those domains. And that makes it clear what things are. And then the data platform, the data domain, that plane that sits underneath that operational plane should follow that same language. And that makes it easy for analysts and easy for scientists and engineers to go in there and just know what something means. They don't have to go, oh, this is the user set from that department, therefore it's this type of user, or it's the user set from that department, therefore it's not a resident, it's an actual user of the website. And so you know, it, it's so important to reduce that cognitive load on people. So the, you know, the classic book is don't make me think, right? You should be able to go to a website and know where things are without having to think. It should be intuitive. And that's equally as important when it comes to data products. Yeah, as somebody that has tried and failed to order a green garden waste bin from their, from their local council. And to be fair, my wife said it goes, well, she can't find how you do it either. So there's clearly, you know, there's clearly room for improvement. Uh, I w- I'd love to be a user, but I'm just, I'm just a slightly miffed resident at the moment. So yeah, I can, from, from the, uh, from the sort of Luddites end of the, end of the uh, process, I can confirm that, yeah, finding out who, who they are and how you want to help them is, is kind of key. And the next one I like, because, this is, this is Jim Stamp, principal technologist, says, don't get hung up on technology. It's all about culture. Uh, I love that one. I, I think we know there's a lot of truth in that. So tell me what that means to you and why that, why that matters. So I guess this plays back to the build it and they will come point that we mentioned earlier. I, I think the reason that data platforms fail isn't due to the tech. The tech is easy. I, I, I've had a, a quote from well, I won't say what cloud provider it is, but I've had a quote from a cloud provider. We can create a data platform in a day. All it takes is a day to do it. And actually, you know, within a week, you can have a functioning platform. I, I, we've done that. We, we've done that for one of our customers. The problem isn't the technology. The problem is the people who use it. It's the training. It's the ownership. Ownership is so hard to get right. If you expect your analysts to own the data, things will fail. It is the service areas that own that data. You know, from a legal point of view, from a GDPR point of view, they own that data. And so just because it's being copied into the data platform doesn't mean you stop owning it. Doesn't mean you should stop taking pride in it and and, and allow the analysts to rip it to pieces and do what they want with it. It's it's that that cultural aspect, that, that making sure that you train all of your people to be data literate. And you know, data literacy can take different guises, but you're never gonna become a data mature organization if you haven't been through that cultural shift. Um, yeah, makes a lot of sense. And uh, I guess on a similar thing about this sort of long-term view that the next one uh, I like, and I guess, you know, the L word of legacy that sends shivers through the spines of, you know, chief technology officers in government is, architect your tech to be replaced so tell us tell us i I kind of i think i see where you're going with that but what does that mean in reality and how do you do it i mean it's it's really hard to do in digital as well as in data but there are mechanisms that you can use to just i guess there are foundational pieces that you should put in place that won't change but equally 
try and use open things as much as you can. Now, there is a cost with open source frameworks. You know, they're free to use, but they can be expensive to maintain. And so avoiding them, you know, I've, I've seen many of our customers say, actually, we don't want to use open source because we can't afford the engineers to keep it updated. And yet, if you're using something that is vendor specific, you're locked into that technology. And so when you select that technology, make sure that you have an exit strategy from that technology. Yeah. Yeah. When, you, when you buy it or when you install it in your system, make sure you have a way of getting your data out, getting it out in a performant way, getting it out in a format that you can then reuse. Uh, or if you're writing scripts, make sure that you can take those scripts and shift them from one system to another without having to rewrite everything. Because at some point you will make that decision to just go, this isn't working for us anymore. Mm. And there's a nice shiny thing over there that we can yeah. use, which will fix that problem. And if you can't get your data or your business knowledge out of that system, then you're stuck and you're yeah. locked in. Yeah. So thinking about that lock-in and that escape strategy is, is so important. So it's not it's not planning your divorce on your wedding day, but it is maybe like having a conversation about where you want to go in life in 10 years' time. And um, what I suppose kind of it is it's the equivalent of a prenup, right? It's not <laughs> yeah. far off a prenup. Yeah. But I guess I guess I guess it is slightly different to, to, to sort of relationships. Yeah. Maybe maybe, but, maybe less screaming, maybe more, who knows? But yeah. Uh, yeah. But I think I think it is it is important. You do need to think about how you're going to get off this. And I think that's true of all technology, it should be true of all technology. We've had customers that literally cannot access their data. They can't access that data. They've bought a system. They've been using it for years. They've started building a data platform. And all of a sudden, they can't get the data out of the system because it's completely proprietary. And yeah. that, that to me, just it, that, that's the opposite of everything that Maytech, for one, is all about. But also me. I just It just, just makes me shudder and shiver. It's just <laughs> a horrible place to be. You own that data. It's your data. Yeah. You have the right to have it. And it shouldn't ever be locked in. Yeah, absolutely. Long-term thinking. Okay, the next one. Um, this is this is an interesting one. So, don't centralize your governance. Centralize the objectives of governance. So, let's let's understand that distinction. Yeah, I guess this this is true of everything. You can remove the word governance and insert many different terms in there. I, I chose governance because it covers a lot of things. And I think the days of having a governance committee that looks at the data and chooses whether the data has the right quality that the personal data or the personal personally identifiable data is should be this and shouldn't be that and reviewing data sets and reviewing processes of cleaning that data set and it, it feels it feels counter to what we've done within the digital domain so the digital domain has gone from that monolithic to that microservice sort of architecture and data should be doing the same thing. And I think governance is the easiest thing to do to start separating that out. So rather than saying this data set should be, uh, should have all of this information in it, the, the ID column should always be, that this, this column should always be within these bounds. No, it, you should be saying how that how you should be providing data to your users it, it's that 
It's that decentralization. So the team that generate the data own the quality of that data. They own the standardization of that data. How you should standardize it and how you should assure quality should be set by a central point or agreed as a federated governance platform of some description. And, and it should be up to each team to be honest and, and to own their own data and their own governance for their data uh, yeah. rather than it be having it imposed on them. Uh, yeah. And that's true quality of access, of uh, standardization of terms and data types, of so many different things. But, you know, it's, it's um, governance is a useful one to start with. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's not the sexiest term, but it often is the win or lose factor in so many projects and successes. You know, what are the rules of engagement? Who understands what their responsibilities are? You don't want the Wild West, but you don't want some draconian centralized, you know, edict either. And somewhere in between that, that sort of empowered, like say, federalized model is probably the way to go. So that's a good one. Really so the next one. Right, really yeah. Yeah. Right. Easy to say, hard to get right, as we said, many of these things. So, um, yeah, one to think on. And um, the next one I like as well, I mean, build your data like you do APIs or other products. So what's that, what's that mindset or methodology that you're alluding to there and, and how, how can organizations be better at that? So I guess is, this is the next step on from that decentralized governance. Uh, and you would never build an API for consumption, either internally or externally, especially not externally, and then just randomly change numbers, right? You just, you, you wouldn't remove a field from your API or just fundamentally change it. You put version numbers in there or you provide them with an upgrade path of some description or you'd have another version, you know, and, and you, would, you, would, you would allow your users to upgrade gracefully from version one to version two, or, you know, there's lots of ways that you can manage it. Uh, often we find data is collected and stored from points within the system that aren't really designed so the point that you tap into when you're collecting data to put into a data platform <clears throat> or that you tap into to then summarize or join with some other data often aren't designed to be used in the same way. And the cost of that, I mean, the classic one is we'll just take a copy of your database tables overnight. And, and the database is owned by the service team. It's not, it's not designed to be consumed externally. There's a reason that you always put an API on top of a database. It's because the API is designed to be used, whereas the database is designed to be at the whim of a developer, or even worse, at the code that generates the database. And that can change every day. You know, every time someone commits some code, it can change the database structure. And, and you know, that's not great, but it can happen. And so if you're taking a copy of that data every day, you've got to cope with that in a data platform. And I guess the pain that historically and data engineers and data analysts have felt as that data changes, you know, regularly, you're having to redo everything all the time and it's, it saps energy. So for me, the starting point is collect the data from a place where it has been designed. So get the API to emit an event every time someone writes to the API. Beautiful, because you can use the same data that's being written to the API to emit the event for us to capture. The next step is make the team that generates the data own the data in the data platform. Because if they change something, they then have tests failing in the data platform. 
So, you know, it's it's that that shared ownership. Uh, and it goes back to that governance as well. You know, it's that decentralizing and federating that ownership of data products. View your data as a product. It's not just a piece of data. It's a thing that you need to maintain and care about and love because otherwise people won't use it and it will cost the organization time and money and effort. And ultimately data platforms will fail if people just, like you said, if it turns into the wild west, then people don't use it, you lose trust. Yeah, yeah. Love your data. I can see the I can see the t-shirt range uh, as we speak. Um, and and the last one, and, and you you mentioned the trust word there, and I guess this maybe starts to speak towards that that, that interesting interaction and tipping point between public and public sector and government organizations and you know the, the understanding around what's data for and who has what and why and so the, the last one you put here is you're unlikely very unlikely in fact to need personal data so pseudonymize it tell us a bit about that because there is this there's this ethical transparency piece that plays through as well. And then I guess there's also sort of technical piece as well. So for you, what's what's the key trust at that point? So I guess coming from a non-public sector, it's GDPR was an absolute nightmare. Uh, and, and I'm always shocked and pleasantly surprised when I land on a customer on this side and they go, actually, we don't have to worry about GDPR because we've got legitimate use and statutory reasons to collect yeah. this data. Yeah. And it's like, Brilliant. Okay, so that's rule number one. We don't have to worry. We don't have to worry. Of course, yeah. we have to worry. Yeah. But the, the limitations are nowhere near as severe as they are in the non-public sector. Yeah. Um, there's a good reason that you need. You can't tell the council to remove your council tax records. You know, but, but you can't. Try as in mind. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I think. With that baseline, it's very easy for people to say, well, why shouldn't we collect this information about this user? And the temptation to do it is so strong because it, it feels like you can do a lot more with it if you know the name of the person. It, and yet, actually, there is very little that you can do that's added if you know the, the, the personal details about a mm -hmm. user or a resident. Yeah. You know, you know, you might need to know roughly where they live. You might need to know most of their postcode. You probably yeah. don't need to know their name. You might need to know a council tax number, but do you actually need to know their account number or do you need to know something that represents their account number? You need to know that they're a unique person, but you don't need to know who the person is. And, and, most of the time where people say, yeah, we need that. And then when you actually ask why, there isn't really a good reason. Mm. And, and you mentioned the ethics word. And, and as data platforms become more mature and people start using machine learning, ethics becomes really important because you're making decisions or machines are making decisions for you about people and if you know who those people are and you know protected characteristics their ethnicity etc you can make some really skewed decisions based on data that shouldn't be making involved in those decisions and so if you can just remove everything that's personal reduce everyone down to a number which 
sound right that is the principle if everyone is just a number and they represent a data point without any mention of those protected characteristics and people might say well a name's not a protected characteristic but you know it can be right you mm. can infer a lot from a person's name or you might think you might be yeah, able to yeah. or a lot from a person's yeah. name. And actually, it's a really dangerous thing to feed into a machine learning model. And, and you know, the, 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 the classic, you know, sort of facial recognition problems or um, training something on Reddit is a terrible idea, although it's not because it works really well in some cases, but it can cause some really skewed results if you're not very careful. Mm. So, you know, there's all kinds of problems with how you use this data. And I guess from a non-public sector point of view, if someone emails in and says, I want all of my records removed, if you can say, well, we're not storing any personal data, we, we have a record for you, but we don't know what record that is. I can't delete it because it's not personal. It's just a record. And, and apply that same principle use that as a principle and only put personal data in there if you absolutely need it and i would almost go as far as to say store the personal data in the system where the personal data belongs you have a database of council tax records keep that personal copy it and anonymize it or even better pseudonymize it when you put it into the data platform yeah absolutely well that's a, a, from all kinds of problems yeah exactly i think it's a it's a good it's a good way to sort of draw things to a close because there's a very much a sort of just because you can doesn't mean you should kind of watch word here and i think you know not so much recently but there was a time when people say well just collect all the data you can you never know what you might be able to do with it in the future and it's like well the world doesn't work like that people are a bit smarter and there's an ethical thread that runs through this that you know you have a responsibility as a public sector organizations to be transparent and fair and to be you know creating services based upon need not upon sort of supposition and that sort of stuff so it's a it's a good one to it's probably a good thing to round it off with that and and to, to you know for, for those public sector data folks to always bear that in mind and i feel like we've kind of done a nice a to a to z through that whole day, that sort of data journey um as we said up top, you know, it's the, the, there are caveats, there are nuances, there are organisational specific challenges that we can't cover in thirty odd minutes. But I think we've we've covered some good ground. So uh, really, really enjoyed that that journey. Uh, so Jim, all, all it remains to say, thank you very much for joining us for the episode. Thank you very much for inviting me. So there we have it. Thanks again to Jim for joining me today for that conversation. Loads of practical takeaways around how to get your own organization data ready and how to make the most of those insights that the data can drive. We'll be along soon with another conversation with a public sector change maker. But until then, that's all from us. See you again soon. Bye bye.